Many years ago, I found myself at a diabetes blogging conference where Chris Freeman was brought in to speak to the, to the people who were there, me being one of them. I learned that day that Chris was an Olympic cross-country skier who had type 1 diabetes. And as I listened to him speak about how he accomplished what he accomplished, and as I thought about how intense and crazy cross-country skiing is, I just thought, wow, this guy's competing in the Olympics with type 1 diabetes. Look how healthy he is. Look how active he is. Look how successful he is at this. If he could do this, I could do this for my daughter. It's one of the very first times I had that feeling. Chris and I were speaking a few weeks ago about having him on the podcast. Again, we couldn't find a reason why. And then all of a sudden, the Dexcom Warrior campaign came up. And I thought, this is great, Chris. Come on, we'll talk you know, for five seconds about the Warrior campaign. And then we'll chat about diabetes. Because I love talking to Chris about type 1. His attitudes are just so specific. And oriented in facts and goals. I love the way he thinks about type 1. Please don't forget that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before being bold with insulin. With that said, welcome to episode 138 of the Juice Box podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored by Dexcom and Omnipod. Please go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox or dexcom.com forward slash juicebox for more information. Are you guys without power still? How long have you... Let's start right now, by the way. This is Chris Freeman, everybody. Are you still without power at home? Um, no, I have power now. Okay. So that, uh, that storm came through and just hit you guys hard, huh? Yeah, I was really surprised. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't prepared for it at all, but we, um, the, the night the storm hit, I was like, wow, that, that's making a lot of noise out there. <laughs> and then I woke up the next morning, and we didn't have power, and... Um, I, that had actually never happened at my house before because the lines here are underground, but uh, the entire the entire town got knocked out. No or kidding. I should say the entire northern half of the state got knocked out. It wasn't too bad. It was about forty eight hours without power. Wow, that's something. You're in Maine, right? Uh, New Hampshire. New Hampshire. I'm sorry. Yes, that's uh, that's. So, what do you do in that situation? You start just cooking the food in the refrigerator first. Is that the is that the move? <laughs> or, <laughs> uh, you know, you can. Uh, I can still I can still light the gas stove with a with a lighter. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't total I wasn't totally helpless as far as food was involved and then uh you know I ended up getting some ice to preserve some of the food in my fridge. Um it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, of course. So um hey so you you're pretty newly married, right? Yeah, I've been married for a little over a year now. How's it going? Everybody still alive? Nobody's pre-dug a hole in the backyard or anything like that yet. No, things things are good. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. Everyone's everyone's happy. The dog's good. My wife's good. Everyone's happy. Good for you. Good. I saw the um, you shared what I can only describe as perhaps the most adorable photograph of your father the other day online. <laughs> uh, it, it was he he was just it was so perfect. It was, I don't know. It was, he was on a tractor and I, I think you were talking about, he put like a cup holder on the tractor or something like that. Yeah. He's got this tractor from 1940 that he's been uh, dragging firewood out of our, he owns about uh, 25 acres of land. Mm-hmm. And so, and uh, for my whole life, a big way that, we, that he's heated the house is with firewood. So he uh, very uh, environmentally friendly, harvest the wood and then, uh, and uses it to heat the home, and he's been dragging it out of the woods with that tractor since I was a kid. 
And uh, since he's retired, uh, he's been retired now for, I don't know, five, six years, he's, he's got a lot of time on his hands, and uh, he decided to carve a wooden cup holder, which he fastened to his 1940s tractor so that he can... You know, stay hydrated, which is important. It was just, it was great. I just, I don't know. I saw the picture and I was like, the first thing I thought was that gentleman is way older than me doing more than I do, which was my, my, my kind of my first thought. And, and then I just, yeah, it was just really, it was, it, I don't want to say it was cute, but it was, it was just a great picture to see online. Like, you know, sometimes people share stuff and you're like, yeah, right on. I see. I get it. That one really caught my attention. I was like, that's really cool. I saw some pictures of you training the other day. Um, really cool photos, by the way. Whoever you have out with you guys while you're training and taking pictures did an amazing job. Um, but but are you are you taking a shot? Are you going for the Olympics again? I am going to go for the Olympics. Um, this will be the if I make it, it'll be the fifth Olympics. Um, no one's no one's ever made it five times from the U.S. in cross country skiing. So um, the I think the odds are in my favor for making it, um, but it's not a guarantee. Is it – so what you do doing cross-country, it just seems so impacting, like physically impacting. So as you get older, I'm assuming it gets more difficult that younger guys have a you know, a leg up, so to speak. But is it – is there also an aspect of as you get older and you get more experience, does the experience help you kind of counterbalance that? Is there something to that? Well, there's a, there's a a lot of components to to cross country skiing, and of course the the from the physical standpoint, you know, you reach you, you reach your peak in your late twenties and early thirties. Mm-hmm. So at thirty seven, I am I am without a doubt past my physical peak. Um, but you do there's also you know learning how to pick the right ski for the right snow, how to get the right wax on the snow, make that wax work. And that experience definitely um, is beneficial to someone who's been, you know, professional in the sport for almost 20 years. Yeah, where I guess a younger person might just feel like they can just blast through anything and you, you know there's a better way to handle situations. And that's, it's a, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, experience, experience in anything is, is helpful and, and especially in cross country skiing. Yeah. So, <clears throat> well, so hopefully we'll have some tricky conditions at the Olympic trials. When are the trials? Um, it's a series of four races. Um, the first one is December 4th, and it's going to be in West Yellowstone. Um, and then the following week, it's up in Sovereign Lakes, British Columbia, Canada. And then um, I'll be back at home for Christmas. And then the final two races are at U.S. Nationals in Anchorage, Alaska. And I believe they're January 3rd and 6th. How do you so – this is something I don't think the average person would know because I know my understanding of it's pretty loose still, but – how do you afford to do that? Like, how does anyone afford to be an Olympic athlete? How does that, I mean, are you, is there a subsidy or is it, is it all on you or how does that actually work? Well, when I was, a, when I was a member of the US ski team, um, they would pick up a lot of, um, the travel tab. Um, that, that fluctuates every year though, depending on how many sponsors they bring in and how they dole out the money. Um, most most uh, top skiers rely on their sponsors uh, for the expense of, uh, of of the sport that they do. Okay, so it's so there's a business aspect to it that, that you have to. It's not just going out there and training and hitting the the races and, and making numbers and getting through. But you have to work the other side of it too, right? You have to make relationships and 
and and that's and keep those relationships and do a good job for those people. Are you out doing things for them for the sponsorship, or is the sponsorship just for them putting their name on you, or how does that how does that go? Um, well, for like in industry, um, like I'm sponsored by Fisher Skis, I'm sponsored by Swix Poles. You know, they'll do advertisements with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was that was the the heart of it before social media became uh, such a phenomenon. Now it's more in the social media, talking about the product, getting pictures of yourself up on on uh, and social media using it, and um, yeah. you know, people see you using what they're what you're using in the fastest skiers and they go out and they buy it themselves. Makes sense to do it themselves. Well, okay, so that's a natural segue into uh, into talking about the the Dexcom um, Call of the Warrior uh, program for for I guess it's Diabetes Awareness Month. Is that what people call it officially? It's Diabetes Awareness Month because um, there's World Diabetes Day in the middle of November, and uh, I just went the just the other day and I went to this website that showed me all of the different months. You know, Autism Awareness Month, Diabetes. There was so many different distinctions that I think we share November with like 20 other uh, diseases. And I thought, well, that's really interesting because everyone's out there trying to draw attention to their thing. I wonder how that doesn't become like oversaturating for the public at large. But, but yeah, I was, I was wondering the same thing. I was like, how did diabetes get a whole month? I mean, that's great, but apparently we're not the only ones. So. Yeah. It was, it really is fascinating. So so, but Dexcom's got a really great idea to draw attention, and, and they're also going to try to raise money for for charity. I think they're going to try to raise up to a quarter of a million dollars. So, I guess the idea is, is that anybody that 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 participates with the hashtag in Facebook and Instagram, uh, every time they see a post, they 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 donate a dollar. What are you doing? Are you doing a video? Are you doing images? Or what have you? What have you um, I put an image up on Facebook, um, and it's a, it's just a a comical picture of myself flexing. Um, because the call of the warrior campaign, you know, it's, it's created to support people with living with diabetes, of course. And then the actual warrior call can be, um, anything that you want it to be. But the idea is, you know, it's a call of courage, um, and kind of saying that diabetes isn't going to stand in your way. So, um, for every warrior call photo or video posted in November, um, on Facebook or Instagram with the hashtag warrior up. Dexcom's going to donate a dollar to a diabetes charity, yeah. and um, I've, I've already seen quite a few uh, go up, and I think they're they're uh, they're pretty fun to look at. And um, so far, the campaign's pretty been pretty successful, and I think I think it's a great idea. I I, I like the idea of um, defiance and uh, being being strong with diabetes and not letting it impact your life negatively. Yeah, well, you are certainly a the poster child for doing that. I mean. Just, you know, like I said, I said it before, and it can't be said enough, the, the physical impact of, of the sport that you participate in is crazy. It's just, I mean, and it's year-round, I see you training on roller blades, on roller skis. I, like, I see you, like, it, it looks insane, the amount of intensity. And in it. it goes so far towards helping other people understand that, you know, people who are at home worried about, like, can my kid participate in recreational soccer? You know, it, to see you doing stuff like that—that's a—it's a huge inspiration, and it's a—it's a quiet message to people. When, when I spoke with Derek Thieler the other day, and we were talking about about the Warrior Call, and I—I I sort of preambled the podcast episode, and I told people, I was like, "Don't just go out there and tell people, look, you can do it." I'm like, give them a real tangible, you know, uh, example of what you do and how it works for you, so that they can really see it. Just don't—it's it nice to say you can do it, go do it. 
but show them what you're doing so that they can really draw some, you know, some, some just confidence from that. And I think that you've done more with just being open about your diabetes with your sport. And not, not only that, but I've told you this before, but just showing people how your sights are on with such low body fat is, is a real relief to people because people worry about like, where can I put my set? Like, where do I put my pump? Where do I put my, my glucose monitor? I can't do it. I'm too lean. I'm too this, I'm too that. But, but I I just think you do, you do a lot more than maybe you even realize just by being that open. I hope, I hope you know. Well, well, I hope I, uh, I hope that's true. And, um, for, for sure. I, I've never, I've never it's never even occurred to me to be embarrassed about having diabetes, you know, yeah. hiding my insulin pump or hiding my, uh, my, my glucose monitor. So it, it's kind of foreign to me. And, um, I'm glad that by being open with it, that, uh, people can draw inspiration. That's just a bonus. Now I just, I really, I believe that's true. We do the same thing here, but we had the op, the opportunity of, of my daughter being, you know, Arden's diagnosed so young that you can sort of just set the parameters for expectation as they're growing up, you know, but, but I think other people run into situations where maybe they're diagnosed at really formidable ages, uh, where you're already worried about, you know, what other people think of you or something like that. Then you add this other component to it. And and there are people who can't break away from that feeling. It's very understandable, honestly, but I think that's where, that's where it comes in for somebody like you to step up. And it's funny, you don't even see it as you're doing something particularly, so you're just acting the way you normally act. And maybe that's why it's impactful to be perfectly honest. That that's, that's probably, that's probably true. And then, you know, when I, when I talk about, you know, I, I show what I do and I I talk about the training that I do. Um, but what I actually put on presentations, I I do, I, you know, I, I speak at, um, summer camps for, for Eli Lilly in the summertime. And when, and I did several, um, appearances at, um, Juvenile Diabetes Research uh, Expos this year for Dexcom. What I try to get across is is the planning involved. And I, as I know, I've read your book. You know, you know all about planning ahead to make sure that the priorities of the day um, happen and that your blood sugar is in the right place and things are stable. And it's 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 never a spontaneous thing. Oh, I'm going to go for a 15 mile run now. You know, it's that was that was the plan for the morning. And then I built my breakfast around it. I built the timing of the insulin dosage around it. I built the snack that I took halfway through the run into it. And then when I finished the run, I immediately ate lunch. It's there's never a I um I'm because of the diabetes. I'm not able to be 100% spontaneous. I I actually I used a, an example of my brother. Um, Last summer, he said he wanted to do this uh, insane 35-mile run that went over like 14 mountain peaks in the uh, the White Mountains. This is what the Freeman brothers do for fun. <laughs> and um, and I was like, oh, God, okay, I'll do it with you. And I actually sat down for a couple hours and lined up what insulin dose I was going to use for the first hour, what I was going to do the second hour, how much food I was going to have to bring. Uh, to get myself around. And of course, after I figure out how much food I need to bring, I bring 50% more. And, um, you know, this was, I think, I think that the white mountain guidebook said that you should bring a backpack and it would take three days. And we, we got in in just under eight hours. Wow. Jeez. That's amazing. I, and I also think that it's what you just said is really important for people who are listening. You know, I think there's this expectation. You and I have spoken about this before that people's expectations for health are just, 
they think, you know, I want to take a pill and I want that to be it. Like, you know, a, a light switch answer, which doesn't exist really, especially with something as variable as diabetes. And for, for them to hear that I can't just set one basal rate and go about my life and expect everything to go well, I, th- I hope everyone's listening that it's, it's not a ton of work, but it is a little bit of thought. You can't just say, this is my basal rate. This is how much I bolus for food. It's always going to work. And when it doesn't work, it's some massive like failure. It's not, it's, you know what I mean? It's, you have to really work on balancing the insulin with your carbs and with your activity. That is the, that is the expectation that everyone has when they go to the doctor. It's like, okay, you know, if you have strep throat, you go to the doctor and they give you a pill and it goes away. But not every disease is like that. And um, it's, it's comical that I'll be training with some guys for four or five years. And then they'll finally get around to asking me some questions. And they're like, your pump's not automated? I mean, every time you change, you have to change it every time? Oh, my God, that sounds really hard. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, you figured it out. <laughs> We've only been together for five years. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, but it, it's, it's, I do get it, right? Like, I do understand the idea of just not wanting to have to think about it, you know, but the opposite of not thinking about it is it just taking over and doing whatever it wants to do to your health. And, and that, that can't be okay. You, at some point, you know, like to make a really wild, like, you know, I, I guess over-exaggeration, if you think about that movie, 127 Hours, where that, that guy was out rock climbing, he got caught, his arms caught, and he makes this decision to cut his arm off at one point, to, to free right. himself to save his life. I know he didn't expect he was going to have to cut his arm off that morning when he got up, but that is the situation he found himself in. And so he kept making the best decisions for himself, even though they weren't the ultimately, you know, the the, the desired course of his life. And I do think about that with diabetes sometimes. Like, sure, there's more to it. It's not all stuff that I wish I was doing. But this is my situation. And I do, I just really want to make the best of it for my daughter. I don't want to just sit back and go, oh, well, my arm's stuck. I guess this is where I die. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I think that there's a way to have a good, a good feeling about it, like, a you know, an attitude. But I also understand when people keep running into roadblocks and things go not the way they want. And it's hard to keep that attitude up, which is why we talk about on the podcast so much how to use the insulin and how to balance it. Because I think that if you put the effort in and you get results, well, then it is easy to keep a better attitude. Try to imagine your blood sugar is falling. It's falling fast, but you can't tell. You're just living your life. You gave yourself some insulin for lunch an hour ago. You think everything's okay. You feel like, oh, I I used the right amount of insulin, but it turns out that you didn't. But you have no way of knowing unless you pull out your meter and check again. But you're not going to do that because you've had this meal before and you're confident about the amount of insulin used. But you know what? Diabetes is going to throw you a curveball this day. And you know that can happen. All of a sudden, something that worked yesterday doesn't work today, but you have no way of knowing. And then suddenly, I don't know, you feel dizzy. And maybe by then it's too late. Your blood sugar's falling and you're caught in this situation where now you're taking in a bunch of carbs and now you're scared to give yourself insulin for the carbs you just took and the next thing you know your blood sugar is 300 again you feel horrible none of that had to happen if you were wearing a dexcom continuous glucose monitor the g5 you could have gotten alert on your cell phone on your android or your iphone it would have told you hey your blood sugar's falling now's the time to do something not when i'm dizzy not 20 minutes from now when it's too late but right now i can see what's happening and what's about to happen 
This is not magic. This is technology that exists right now. This is something that if you go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box, you can have. And if you're a parent or a caregiver of someone with type 1 diabetes, you can see what's happening with their blood sugar. That kind of peace of mind is insanely comforting. You use your follow app, they're using their share app, and you see in real time what's happening with their type 1. It's easy then to send a text to your daughter that says, hey, drink a juice box, or to your son that says, hey, we need to bolus a unit here. Now, your results might vary from mine, but you listen to this podcast, you know what my results are. I think you could have something similar. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Let's get back to Chris. I've met a lot of people in my, in my advocacy work, and I, I've come across um, some people who feel like they'll tell me, the first thing they'll tell me is that, you know, diabetes never stops me from doing anything. I just go out and I do whatever, whatever it is that I want to do. But then they'll go on and they'll tell me about how they're frequently, you know, losing consciousness, um, that they are starting to suffer from long-term, um, you know, eye, eye damage and circulation issues. And, and I, I, it's, it's hard sometimes for me to be like, you know, it is affecting you because you're not planning. You're just, you're just doing right. And ignoring the symptoms and the problems, then you're not you're not experiencing everything that you could be if you did it if you took it a better care of yourself. And so I, I I applaud their courage for going out and doing stuff, but at the same time, it is possible to go for a run and not pass out. And uh, that's what we need to do. <laughs> that that should be the goal, right. not just not just doing and then and then suffering the consequences. Yeah, right. No, it's just so very well put. Like you can't just lunge into something dangerous without thinking like how can I get through this? There is a way for me to get through this. Let's like don't nothing holds me back and I just mindlessly do things are not the same sentiment. <laughs> you know, and and yeah. you can't treat it like they are. Um I like when you're on because I, I think there's a lot of – you talk about this in such an honest way that I really I really relate to and respect. And I think that when other people hear it, I think these are the messages that are hard to give day after day and in social media and stuff like that because it can be taken so wrong out of context. But when we talk about it like this, it's very obvious the intent in your in your voice and what you're saying is that I want you guys to live a really full life. But just understand there's a couple of things you have to do to make that happen. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. The, you know, it just, it is, it is your situation. You're right. And, that, and at the same time, I've also, you mentioned that people get scared to try to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that the first time that you, um, go out and exercise, you try to exercise for eight hours. It should be a gradual right. progression. But for myself, there's never been anything that I wanted to do that I said, Oh God, I can't do it because I have diabetes. I've always, I've, I've had to sit down and plan and really think about how I was going to do it, and sometimes who I was going to need that to have help me. Um, you know, if I go back to that that eight hour run that I was talking about that I did with my brother, I want to point out that my brother showed up in the parking lot with sixty four ounces of Gatorade. <laughs> Ready to go? And that, that was his plan. <laughs> and I just kind of told him that I hated him. Um, but, you know, in that eight-hour run, um, my, my dad, who you earlier you mentioned, you know, looks like he's in great shape. Uh, he hiked up one of the mountains, and he met us halfway, and he restocked us with, our, with, the, with the stuff that we needed so that we didn't have to carry it all. No kidding. 
So, you know, I, I will think outside the box sometimes, too, and, and, and ask for help when I need it. Yeah. Well, you know, I do get it. Like, let me, let me ask you this. I don't know if I've ever asked this before. But how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 19. Okay. So you, so you were more or less the attitude that you carry now probably existed in you at 19. You think? You know, I, was, no? um, I was probably <laughs> a little more arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, everybody, everybody is. Uh, you know, I, uh, um, you know, it was, it was kind of tongue in cheek, but I actually had a great, I had a great relationship with my high school running coach that I carried through past high school. And so he was one of the first persons I called when I got the diagnosis. And I was just, and I said to him, I was like, and, and you know, like I said, I was trying kind of joking, but I was like, you know, I kind of like to think of myself as genetic perfection. And he's like, well, there that goes that theory. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the pancreas thing. Chris, you're doing yeah. great. Yeah. I, well, because people, you know, people get this, I think, and we talk about it on here a lot, but people get bad advice from their doctors sometimes, or the fears lumped on them in the beginning and then they start seeing these things where they go, you know, I could probably make this adjustment myself or I, I could be a little more thoughtful about this. But they get they tend to get very bound up in what was said to them on like the day one, you, you know, and then it's hard to break free from that. But if you're diagnosed at 19, you already kind of feel like you can you can pull the world, you know, on, then then maybe you don't give in as easy when people tell you to be scared. Maybe you say, no, I'm not going to be. It's maybe it's that simple. Also, it's you. It's not. You're not parenting somebody. Well, you know, if I if I called my doctor every time I changed my insulin dose, uh, the doctor would would stop answering my calls after the first hour. Right. <laughs> um, and that that goes back to the I just want a pill to make it all better. Yeah. And you know, I've also I've also talked. It, it's hard because you know I'm not a doctor, so I'm not I'm not legally allowed to tell someone to change their insulin dose. But there's times when They'll come and talk to me. He's like, well, every day after soccer practice, my, my, my child is hitting like 45 and, you know, he's almost passing out. And I was like, well, have you tried lowering his insulin rate during the soccer game? No, the doctor didn't say to do that. Yeah. I said, well, you know, I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you that your son is going to have to become his own best expert on diabetes. And the more you can learn and the more you can adapt the more you're going to help him. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the doctor's a resource, not the be-all, end-all of, of everything. He doesn't know it. He can't, he can't predict whether he, your son is going to be stressed out by a math test two hours before his soccer game and how that's going to affect his blood sugar. When that happens to me, when I, when I hit stress, my pancreas compensates. It, my, my natural basal rate increases for something like that. And, and when we set these basal rates in our pumps or, you know, or if people are doing MDI or just shooting and hoping that it's, you know, burning as smoothly as possible, that's just not, that's not how your body actually works. That's, that's the best estimation that science and medicine has right now. And then you need to, you need to make adjustments. You know, listen, we say, I say it here all the time at the beginning of every show, nothing you hear on this podcast is advice, you know, go see a doctor, but here's how we do it. And you know, right. here's how my daughter's A1C is. I mean, the last time, Chris, it was five six, I think. And so, that's, but that's not easy. And but it, it it's also not hard once you understand how the insulin works and what you know when to give it and how much and you know that that sort of thing. I wish people could have been here right before you and I jumped on. Arden came in the door. 
her blood sugar had gotten a little high at school. She came in the door at like 150. And um, yep. and she's like, I'm really hungry. You're about to do this podcast with Chris. She's like, I'm going to grab a bunch of food and go upstairs and do my homework. I was like, okay. So she takes nachos and puts them on a plate and puts cheese next to them. But there's not as much nachos as she thought there was when she bolused. So first we spent five minutes banging around the house going, who ate my nachos once we got past that drama? Um, I said, well, Arden, you just gave yourself you know, a lot of insulin. I said, so we're going to have to make this up somewhere. And she looks around, looks around. She grabs a bowl of cereal, which is not something she eats frequently around here. And she fills up a bowl. We did not measure the cereal. We did not measure the milk. She put it in. She stuck it all under her arm. She went upstairs. We actually bolused more, and she's gone. Now, that was 35 minutes ago at this point, and her blood sugar is 119. And it's, yep. and it's diagonal down. We are going in the right direction. So as those carbs are going in and trying to shove her blood sugar up, all this insulin's pushing back. There's this tug of war happening right at 119. And that is not something a doctor can explain to you. Do you know what I mean? Like he, I mean, you could, you have to, you have to hear it. You have to, you have to see it happen. That's why I always tell people make adjustments, see what happens. If, you know, if it doesn't go exactly the way you thought, don't think of it as a failure. Think, okay, I did this, this happened next time I'll do this and expect that to happen. Like, you know, like just, it's a science experiment for a little while, but you can't be scared to do it. If you're scared to do it, it's ne you're never going to work it out. I th yes. I think. I, I think. I can I completely, I completely agree. I mean, as far as, as far as carb counting goes, I mean, I, I look at the plate and I make a, I make a guesstimate. Right. Um, but when I make that guesstimate, I'm also just taking what's more important than, or of equal importance, I should say that the carb counting is reflecting on how many hours did I train today? Right. How hard was the intensity? How hard did I train yesterday? Um, and, uh, Am I stressed right now? Right. Those, those, those components play equal role to exactly how much I'm eating. And sometimes I mess it up. And if I'm trending upwards an hour after I eat, I'd give myself more insulin. Yeah, that's the biggest thing to, to get over. I, Arden's, a, um, <clears throat> Arden's Dexcom lines are set at 70 and 130. And okay. so when we hit 130 after a meal, if it's diagonal up or up, I just go, okay, we missed. You know, like it's okay, just more. And then people say, well, how much more? And they want you to give them a number. Like, it's, it's, it, that doesn't work. Like, 15 carbs, 15 minutes, that's, that's don't kill yourself information. You, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's, right. not, that's not fine-tuning stuff. The, the answer is, I don't know. Like, the answer is, I always think of it as stopping the arrow. I always look at the Dexcom arrow, and I think, I just want to stop the arrow in this situation. And, yeah. um, and I tried something once. It, you know, it worked or it didn't work. And just trial and error, and that's it. It, it just... I, I hate to say it like this. It's not all that hard. It's you just sort of have to pay attention to it a little bit. You uh, have to pay attention to it, and the, I mean the tools that we have now are are so good. Amazing. I mean, I mean the Dexcom system is so reliable now. I mean, when I first started using it in 2010, it was a guide, but I would I would never dose off of it. Right. Um, and um, you know, back in 2010, it was was also you know frequently 50 or 60 points off. Um, now it's pretty much always spot on, and um, I can make those adjustments based on it. And it just makes the tools are there. Um, it's just a matter of uh, using them yeah. and uh, constantly thinking about it. And I do, I always do like to put in a 
like my own little disclaimer. Like I know some people don't have the insurance or the money and it's, it's, that's unfair. There are ways you have to test more and do other things, but there's still ways to manage without the, the, the tools. The tools are, it's next level. Like, I mean, just you've, I mean, you're 37, you've had, you're almost 20 years, right? You're coming up on 20 years. Yep. Okay. So, and Arden's been at this since she was four. So she's 10 years and the, the technology, if you can call it that, that we got on day one was that little tiny freestyle meter that looked like a big kind of blood drop that was about two inches long and, ne- and needles. And they were like, here you go, right on, like, get at it. And, and I was like, uh, okay. And and now you're seeing this data. And I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at the three-hour line on the Dexcom. And if you look at the last three dots on the right side, it's an indication of where it's going. And you can... I actually made an adjustment this morning based on just the last three dots on the three hour line. And I said to her going out the door this morning, I was like, your blood sugar is going up. Um, and it's been getting a little high this time of morning anyway. So let's just really bolus here. Like even though your blood sugar is 100 right now, we're going to bolus here because we can trust it. It's gone up like this the last three or four days. It's acting just like it acted the other day. Like let's not wait. Like we waited the other days, but now I see a pattern. Like let's attack the pattern and see what happens. And, yeah. it, and it worked out great. My wife and I made a decision almost a decade ago that every day pays us back. We were in a pump training class at a major metropolitan children's hospital. And all of these pumps were laid out in front of us. And it was up to us to choose which one were we going to pick for our four-year-old daughter. And I looked and they all seemed great. But there was this one pump. Didn't have any tubes on it. It was just this little self-contained thing. It wasn't a big pack. It didn't have this infusion set. There weren't 12 feet of tubing. It was this tiny little pod. And the nurse explained what we would adhere to my daughter. It contained everything that she needed. And then it was just run by this wireless handheld device. And I thought, well, that sounds futuristic. That sounds forward thinking. That sounds like it won't hold my daughter back, that she won't be connected to something. We're gonna try this, I thought. And all of these years later, we could not be happier with our decision. I genuinely think that you would love the Omnipod too if you gave it a try. If you're looking for tubeless, if you're looking for effective, if you're looking for easy, something you can use when you're swimming or bathing or playing a sport, just go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box Fill out a tiny bit of information, and just like that, Omnipod is going to send you a free, no-obligation demo pod that you can try for yourself. You can try it on, try it on your child, and then decide, is what Scott's saying true? I think you'll find that it is, and then you can just keep moving with the process. Contact them back and say, hey, I'm ready. I want to keep going. Or you know what? If you don't like it, don't worry about it. Nothing more to do. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box with a link in your show notes. Well, the, the the pattern thing too is how I that's how I go from training every day to to racing um, on race days the really important and hard days um, I actually keep a just a handwritten journal of what what I what I did and how my body reacted so that I can go back to it and and look at it for the next race because you know it is a seasonal sport um, it'll be almost six, seven months by the time for since my last ski race, when I do my first race, going back and looking at what I did last time and whether or not it worked is, is really valuable. Um, from a day to day, 
for training, I, I generally let it float in my head. I, 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 it's, I wish it was something that I wish it was something people could see because it, it's probably fascinating data to see how you do it. To be perfectly honest, um, you should carry well, it's that pretty, around. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty basic stuff. Like, you know, my, my, um, I, I run very simple basal programs. Generally I'm running the same amount of basal insulin 24 seven. And then, um, for training, I will reduce it, um, with a temp basal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, if, you know, if I happen to notice that I'm trending up at, at night, I will just raise the temp basal before I go to sleep. We use a lot so, of, a lot of temp basils to make adjustments. It's, yeah, it's, it's a great way to stay off of, you know, the up down roller coaster and, you know, it, it just, it, I always, I talk about like bumping and nudging. Like I always just, I'm thinking of that diabetes, that line on the Dexcom and I just try to bump it, nudge it, just, just little pushes so that you're not making these grand like corrections, which end up causing lows and, you know, everything. And then, you know, and then beyond that, I just, I just make a note of, um, what does I make a note of what the basal rate that I was running was, mm-hmm. um, overnight leading up to the race. And then for shorter races, I actually take on more insulin beforehand to take on the adrenaline and take on, uh, the cortisol and the, the resulting, you know, glucose release. And, uh, I usually do that in an extended bolus before the beforehand. Mm-hmm. I write that down, and then I um, most of the time now I carry my uh, Dexcom with me so that I can see the data throughout the race afterwards. Right, um, and then I can uh, save that data. Or if I don't want to carry the the Dexcom, I will just uh, make a note of the beginning and finishing insulin. That's cool. Are you planning on, I know you and I, we texted back and forth a little bit a couple weeks ago about the faster acting insulin, the, the FIASP or FIASP. Um, and you were, you were wondering if I had it and I was wondering if you had it. Um, and you, but you try new things when they come out, right? Like you're, you're going to give this a shot and see when, when a faster acting insulin becomes like available and you're allowed to use it in your pump, you're, you're going to give it a whirl, right? And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, but you're not going to sit pat. Like you're going to keep looking into the new stuff. I'm, I think looking at the new, the latest innovations is uh, absolutely something everyone should do. Um, especially, I mean, I mean, if you look at like the improvement between uh, human insulin and Humalog as it came out, it was it was night and day. So the next generation, next generations of ultra rapid acting insulin, I think I, I have very high hopes for, and I guess I intend to I intend to try them. Give it a shot. I, I we do too. I you know I don't know when it'll be. I don't know when it'll be available to use in a pump or not, but I, I can't, I mean, I just think of it the same, like we use a Pedra right now and you know, with Novolog, Arden would get a lot of arrows, a lot of double arrows up, a lot of double arrows down. I always felt like I was chasing around no matter what I did, I couldn't stop it. And I saw someone else talking about a Pedra and I was like, well, I'll try that. And you know, my wife's like, are they just going to let you switch? I'm like, well, why not? Like, what, what does the doctor care? Like, you know, and so I just said like, we want to try a different insulin. They said, okay, no problem. Wrote a script. We tried it. It was a little bumpy the first day or two until I figured it out. And then, you know, it ended up being a good switch for me. And as much as I love it, if the next one works better, I'm not married to a Pedra. It just works the best so far for us for what I've seen. I, and I always, you know, what I'd say is you don't want to look up 10 years from now and be like the person going, oh, no one does it like this anymore. Because that probably means that you're accepting... I don't know, A1Cs or control or whatever that's probably just not in line with what else. Like you just, 
like I have, you have to think about the people who are coming out of diagnosis right now, leaving a hospital with a Dexcom on them. And then think about how I left with this little meter and how you probably left 20 years ago, which was, you know, probably with just like a good luck pat on the back. So, well, I actually did get a glucose meter. I got, uh, I believe I got a life scan that took about a minute to give me my, my reading. <laughs> and how often uh, did you use it? Um, I used it six, seven times a day right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty dedicated to making sure that it, it worked, yeah. to making sure that I, um, I mean, my doctor, when I got diagnosed, he, I was pretty firm in the honeymoon phase, and he said, you know, you can probably get away without using insulin for a little while. And I said, well, that's not happening. Give me some insulin. <laughs> you know, I'm, um, I got it. There's, there's going to be no, going to be no high blood sugars in this guy. And um, I got, I got to treating it uh, right away. So when you look at stuff coming forward, are you excited to try like the Horizon when it comes out? The like when Omnipod gets there their artificial pancreas system up are you going to are you going to give it a whirl i think i i definitely think we are going to as long as you can use or define the 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 target i think it's something worth trying well a lot of people ask me and, and they say well, you should you should really get on these uh these trials um why why are people seeking you out to use the the their new closed loop systems to test on you and i was like well i'm such an extreme case that it really wouldn't apply um, to to the broader public, um, but what, so what I really hope for with the with the uh, closed loop system is first off, and I believe that they they can do this already uh, would be a sleep algorithm because that's got to be a very simple algorithm to write. There's not a lot of unpredictable activity, and you know as as experienced as I am with maintaining blood sugar and whatnot, I still get woken up an average of once a night by my alarm saying that I'm out of my, my range because I keep things pretty tight. Yeah. And that's a pain in the butt. Yeah, <laughs> and, and especially, uh, for my roommates when I'm traveling, they, they're not a big fan of that either. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the sleep algorithm. And I also think that, uh, there will be algorithms that will for, for normal, you know, going to school, walking you know walking down the halls um working a a job that's not um manual labor or something um i think that that closed loop system is going to be a pretty pretty effective yeah. uh, uh, but there's going to have to be a way to override it right because like for for you're a good example like when you're doing something that extreme like uh, listen if i'm wrong if i end up being wrong a year and a half from now that'd be great but if they if they can develop something that can keep up with your level of activity I mean, that will be next world. That'll be incredibly amazing. But it is hard to imagine that that's what's, that it would be able to do that. But also, to be fair, you're doing something that's unlike what most of us are doing. So it is it is really, you are, like I guess you said, you are just a special case. It's, it's They're not, not shooting for you. I've been following the artificial pancreas development for a while. And you know, whenever I go to an expo and I get a chance to talk to the people that are actually building these things and, and working on them. Um, I try to get as much information as I can. And, you know, 10 years ago, everyone was talking about the limitations of the uh, continuous glucose monitors. Now no one's talking about that. Now people are talking about the limitations of the insulin, you know, the time, the time to peak and then the, um, the tail. Yeah. It's the peak and tail that they have to work around. So I really think that the faster acting, the ultra rapid acting insulins that are in, in development 
are going to be huge in uh, creating these algorithms. Yeah, making the next step work. And then it will be a little, then you won't have to think ahead as, as, as much because the insulin is going to work more uh, spontaneously. So it's just, I mean, that would be such a big deal. It really would. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time talking about, I hope people cure something. I, 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 I'm like, I want the insulin to work better. I want cannulas to be more um, efficient and, and you know, your body not to see them as a uh, foreign body so quickly and like that kind of stuff. That's real world, like fixable now that would really make a big difference for people. I just don't think people think about it like that sometimes, but there are little things that can be fixed that would that make all of our lives a lot better. So, yeah, well, every, the people ask me frequently, what was it that made you th- after? So when I was diagnosed at 19, the, first two endos that I went to see told me that there was no way I was continuing on as a pro ski racer. I wasn't going to the Olympics. And the question I always get is what made you think that you could keep going? And it, in all honesty was when I did the research on the, on diabetes and learned as much as I could about it, I saw how far diabetes treatment had come in just the, the, the previous five years to my diagnosis. And I would say that the improvement since then has been exponential. And so the limits just keep on going out of the way. And like you said, yeah, a cure would be fantastic, but incremental improvement is also fantastic. Right, right. And um, it, it's, people cannot get caught up in the way things used to be with diabetes. It's a different world now, and all the tools are available to let you live um, a great life. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's night and day. I mean, it, it honestly, my buddy was diagnosed when we were 19 and I'm, my God, I'm 46. So he, he was diagnosed probably five or six years prior to you. And I remember him getting this giant brick of a meter that he couldn't even like travel with. It had to stay in his house. And, you know, the direction he got was so like, get up in the morning. If you think you're going to be active, use this much. If you don't think you're going to be active, use this much, inject it and eat breakfast. And then at night, inject this and have dinner. And that was the extent of it, you, you know. And uh, it, it was not a great way for him to live. And it did, it, did not, it did not suit him well throughout his life for his health. You know, it just, it, it, it wasn't enough. And then you juxtapose that with how, I mean, what, what just happened now. Like my, my, Arden's blood sugar is probably lower now than mine would be if I ate what she ate. You, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's fascinating how much the technology and the insulin, everything that's available now is, and so I get what you're saying. So when you look back then, you thought, look, maybe it's not a great idea now, but it might be okay in just a couple of years. So I don't want to give up because I want to, I want to run forward to that place where this works for me. Well, what the, the biggest, the biggest, in, the biggest thing that I read about was actually, you know, the, the, the fast acting insulins that had come out, you know, people don't, a lot of people don't even realize, but you know, Humalog, Novolog, Apidra, None of those existed prior to 1996. I got diagnosed in 99. So, and the other question I get is, well, did you ever go back and rub it in your doctor's face that you were, went on their successful Olympian? And I was like, no, I didn't. Because he wasn't a mean, well, the first guy wasn't a mean guy. I mean, he was just being honest in his, his opinion right. and based on his experience. And But his experience didn't, let in for the growth with the new with the new insulins and what was possible. I mean, I don't I don't think I would have competed in four Olympics if I was limited to just straight up human insulin. Yeah, 
Well, yeah, and he also couldn't. He hit, he would have no way of factoring in who you are. You know what I mean? Like he, and that goes for everybody. I, I always say that when when doctors are giving advice out, it, it ends up being kind of least common denominator device because they don't know you. You might not be, you know, for the lack of a better term, you might not be the brightest bulb. They don't know that. They've just met you. They can't go giving you this high level information if you can't if you can't process it. And at the same time. That stinks. Like it's it's like I don't know. It's like having a classroom with twenty kids in it, and two of them are ultra bright, and I don't know, ten or fifteen of them are just average people, and there's a handful of kids who are, who are falling behind. Who do you teach to? Because it's going to end up being unfair to somebody, right? Right? Like someone's going to get ripped off a little bit. But in health, if you teach to the lowest common denominator, then all those other people they lose out on on life. Like it's not just their their grade doesn't suffer by five percent. It's it's you know it's the extent of and the health of their life and. And, and I, I get that doctors are in that situation at the same time. I mean, that's kind of why I do the podcast, like to kind of fill that gap, you know? Well, yeah, and I think, I think, I think that, that there's a frequent, I mean, I mean, I guess the sample of people that I work with or, or talk to are usually the people that are most involved with their children, with the, with the person in, that in their life that has diabetes and really wants to make it better. So my sample might not be reflective of what, doctors have coming into their office day after day but the people that i work with want to learn (laughs) and and i'm just it gets it seems like what comes out of the doctor's office so often is so dumbed down um i don't know if you did you ever have to learn about carbohydrate exchanges they tried, but my brain doesn't allow things like that to happen to me. So I, I was just—I I just kept looking at this lady, and I'm like, "Why are you breaking carbohydrate exchanges into 15 gram increments? Just say 60 grams of carb, and don't tell me that ketchup is a free food. It's pure corn syrup. It's not a free food. This is just dumb." And um, so that—that's my. They're, by, by trying to make it simpler for some audience, they were alienating me. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, other examples would be, you know, someone who's been caring for their for their kid for ten years and they had never had the connection between stress and a and a rise in blood sugar explained to them before by their doctor. Yeah. I mean, that's like to me, that's like one hundred and one. Yeah. Oh my God. The beginning of the school year, like the, the first week of the school year is a big one. Way more insulin. Just crank up the basil now because she's, she's excited or she's nervous or she's, you know, she's got anxiety or something. And then as the days go by and she gets more and more comfortable, you see it go down. You talked about, um, adrenaline, adrenaline earlier. I bolus for adrenaline constantly. Arden, um, i she just finished, they just finished, her team finished, I think, third in the country, in this region, in, like, Little League softball for 12-year-olds this past year. And so yep. they were off sleeping in barracks and playing softball games all summer. And it was it was legit. They they thought it was important. And what I've noticed is, is if she thinks it's important, then her competitive nature really kind of comes up. And then as the game's starting, you just have to start giving her insulin, giving her insulin. And... You know, and then at the end, when the the adrenaline's gone, the insulin's still there. So you just have to feed the insulin a little bit, and that's the end of it. But you can't ignore it. If you ignore it, her blood sugar will be two fifty by the third inning. And you know, yeah, um, I, I, that reminded me of, um, you know, I talk about racing and doing the same thing over and over again for each race, but that depends also on how important the race is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if I'm doing a nine mile race and I'm, and I know that there's no one in the field that's even close to as fast as me, I don't get nervous. And I end up on an entirely different, I have to give myself a totally different dosage and recognize I'm not nervous because I know that I can go out there, break both poles and still win this race. Mm-hmm. It's not possible for me to get nervous about it. Whereas I go into an Olympic race and, you know, this only comes around once every four years, the whole world's watching. It's a different deal. Um, so you've got to be aware of this. You also have to be aware of the situation. Um, I do. I share as much about that as I can here because I do want people to understand. It's especially hard with kids. You don't know what anxiety your two-year-old or your six-year-old has. You, you, you know, and I actually, when people talk about when they do their pump changes and everybody's always like, well, I think, you know, when you change pumps, you don't start getting the insulin right away. I think it's more about the anxiety of the pump change that, that sometimes shoots people's blood sugar up. And, and I don't think anybody thinks about that. And they shouldn't, by the way. No one's brought it up to them. Um, it's not, it's not, it wouldn't be the first thing you would think about when you were trying to kind of like diagnose to yourself what happened. You think, oh, I took insulin away. I brought insulin back. Maybe it takes time for it to start working again. And that's, I, I like your anxiety yeah. question. Cause I get, I get that question a lot, but do you ever have blood sugar rise when you change your pod? And no, I never do. <laughs> yeah. I'm also never nervous about changing it. Yeah. So it just occurred to me that one day, like people, I get why people feel like this, but I, you hear people a lot say about their kids, like, oh, my kids, like, they're so strong and they're so brave. And I always think of bravery as an interesting thing. Like, people don't want to be in situations where they have to be brave. You are brave because you have to be. And that doesn't mean you're not scared or anxious. It just means you're you're holding it together. Bravery just means I'm not, run, I'm not running and screaming, basically. You, you know, so you can't confuse a stoic face with calm all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It just, it hit me a couple years ago. I was like, that's what this is. So then I just started bolusing for it. It was just mm. like, right on, like, here's some extra. You're, and that, and then as she got older, that stopped happening. So now, now at an insulin pump change, we don't see a difference in her blood sugar. I used to, I used to think you couldn't, I couldn't change a pump and then feed her. It would have been a disaster. But that doesn't occur to me anymore now. Like that, it just, and she got older and she got more accustomed to it and that part of it went away. So it's yeah. a, it's a growing process. That's for sure. Well, Chris, I've kept you pretty long. I appreciate you talking. I really do. Um, I know I started a little late for you and, and so I've dragged you a little later than we said we were going to, but I appreciate you coming on. I, I will get, we'll get everybody out and I'll do some, uh, talk up on this before I put it out. Get people out to your, uh, where'd you put your picture? Instagram, Facebook, where'd you put it? Both. Uh, it's on my Facebook page. Your Facebook page. And actually, it's up, yeah, it's on my Instagram as well. Okay. So. Yeah, we'll send people out, see if we can get you some likes and, and get them inspired to put their own picture up, uh, try to try to raise some money for a lot of good causes. I'll list the causes later. I know I have listed them somewhere, but there are, but there are a lot of great diabetes charities that are that uh, stand to benefit from from somebody putting out a, a picture or a video with the Warrior Up hashtag. So definitely. Yeah, and I think, I think it's a it's, – you can check out more details with uh, Dexcom.com backslash call of the warrior. Okay. All right. I'll send, I usually like to send people to Dexcom.com uh, forward slash juice box so that I, you know, so I can keep getting my ads. But <laughs> That'll work too. <laughs> it's funny when I reached out to Dexcom and I said, hey, do you guys want to put ads on this podcast? A part of me thought they were just going to go, look, we listen to the podcast. You talk about the pod. You talk about Dexcom all the time. We don't need to pay you. And, uh, but, but I just said to him, I said, look, I would appreciate it. I said, this is not an easy thing to do. 
takes a lot of time. I think it's really helping people understand what, uh, what we're accomplishing with your stuff. And it'd be really great if you could support it. And to their credit and to Omnipod's credit too, two, two people who, who sponsor the podcast, I, I don't know that people would believe this in the conversations because it seems like a business thing. But the first thing that these people always talk about is, you know, can you show me the response you're getting back from the podcast? If the podcast is really helping people the way you say it is, that's what we would like to support. And I, I don't know that, you know, I don't think that every aspect of business or pharma is always thinking about the people, but these are two companies that I just feel very good about. So I'm, I'm always happy to be on their side and have them on my side. So yeah. I, you know, I appreciate you doing this. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk with you as well. Oh, cool. Uh, I hope your power doesn't go out again. Please say hello to your father. Tell him he's my new hero. Um, I will. How old is he? Can you tell me how old? Do you think he'd mind? No, he's 70. He's 70. He was just on that tractor and I was like, damn, look at him go. And and he's got that great denim jacket on. I was like, I wish I was Chris's dad. This is, <laughs> like, he just looked like he was having a great time. I, I don't know another well, way to put it. Well, you know, he grew up on a farm in Iowa before he moved to New Hampshire. So he's he's very at home in a tractor seat. There's yeah. something about it. Well, you said he retired a few years ago. What was he doing up until his retirement? Um, he was the property manager at Canterbury Shaker Village, which um, is... The Shakers were uh, a religion in the, up in the, the eastern half of the country um, that, I don't know, like, similar to the Amish community in a lot of ways, except that they, when they prayed, they would dance and shake, hence the name Shakers. Okay. But they were also very uh, innovative in the way that they would build um, their buildings. They had very ornate uh wooden frames for their buildings and they had all kinds of awesome ahead of their time irrigation systems and it was my father's job to restore the buildings as the as the uh, shakers did it well that sounds very fulfilling actually that's pretty cool yeah yeah oh, that's excellent uh that's good for him I mean, seriously I'm, I'm not gonna do half of that in my life i don't think he's, he's <laughs> farming and restoring buildings and i'm making podcasts so uh well hopefully this is helping somebody as much Thank you, Chris Freeman, for coming on. Thank you, Dexcom and Omnipod, for sponsoring the episode. Go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox or dexcom.com forward slash juicebox to find out more. And don't forget about Dexcom's Warrior Up campaign. Go ahead and put yourself in video or an image being a warrior with type 1 diabetes. Hashtag it Warrior Up. And Dexcom will make a donation to a diabetes charity for every post. Those charities include the JDRF, Children with Diabetes, the College Diabetes Network, Taking Control of Your Diabetes, and Beyond Type 1. If you'd like to see a dollar go to those, just take a picture, take a video, put it on Instagram or Facebook, hashtag it warrior up. I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. There should be a bonus episode after this with a little bit of um, tips for Thanksgiving. It's only a couple minutes long, but I think you'll find it valuable. If you downloaded this one, make sure you downloaded that one too. I'll talk to you soon.